Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia, Northeast Tennessee, and North Carolina. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokie Nation? Happy Tuesday morning. We got a whole lot of Hokies men's and women's basketball to talk to you about. It's episode 344 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, and it starts right now. Thirtieth, twenty twenty four, from our studios at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Hey, remember to like, subscribe, and refer the show to a friend, or head over to TechSideline.com and check out our extensive editorial content. As always, the first month first month of subscriptions is free. I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Across the way, our managing editor, Mr. David Cunningham. To my right, lead analyst and columnist, Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair, our senior staff writer, Andy Bitter. And behind the scenes producing today, Mr. Robert Bateman. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. But this episode of TSL is also brought to you by Triumph NIL. Triumph is a unique and experienced sports marketing agency specializing in building custom name, image, and likeness partnerships for student athletes at Virginia Tech. NIL is working at Virginia Tech, and Triumph NIL is a big reason as to why. Visit triumphnil.com to learn more, subscribe, and support the Hokies in NIL. All right, let's start with just a little bit of football today, gentlemen, before we get into our men's and women's basketball content. Very, very small, but something definitely worth noting. We got a new signee for Virginia Tech, Carter Stallard out of Christiansburg, an offensive lineman, and uh, wanted to ask you guys about him because it's the first time Tech's had a signee since 2012 from local Seabird. Let me correct you. Okay. Commit. Commit. I don't sign until December. He's next year's class. Okay. Um, Appreciate that. So, yeah, he's huge. Like, like he's listed at 6'8", 315, and he kind of looks every bit at the, a bit of that. Like he's, I've seen pictures of him with Tech's offensive linemen that they signed in this past class, and they're big guys, and, and despite being a, a year younger, he's he's even bigger than they are. So uh, it's great to get that kind of size into the program. At the same time, as an offensive lineman, like especially in this area of the state at this level of football, you know, he's beating up on a lot of really small guys like he's blocking guys that he outweighs by over 100 pounds in, in some cases so it's hard to make uh evaluations sometimes uh based on that but uh i i th- do like his aggressiveness from what i've seen um the frame is obviously there he's gotten uh meant he's been mentored by former virginia tech offensive lineman sergio render who played at a high level for Virginia Tech as a four-year starter back in the day? So, uh, yeah, I, I've always I always thought Stallard w- would pick Tech, but uh, you know he had a good offer list at the same time. So, uh, you know, good pickup. 
I appreciate Andy for writing this up in the middle of a basketball game mm-hmm. yesterday. What, yeah. what can you tell us about Stallard? Yeah, I cover one first basketball game in like six years that I've covered. And of course, there's a football commitment right in the middle of it. Uh, yeah, what Chris said, he's huge. I, mean, I like how he's listed as either 6'7 or 6'8 or 6'7 and a half on various sites. It's like when you're 6'7, does it matter <laughs> what you're being listed at? You're really tall and, uh, you know, you can't teach 6'8, 320, whatever he weighs right now. It's nice to get that into the program. You're not bringing a guy in. It's like, well, if you add 50 pounds, then he's all of a sudden he's going to be this. You sort of have that ready-made size uh, to start with. Uh, you know, somebody local like this, uh you know, you, you wouldn't say it's a given that somebody from Christiansburg would sign with the Hokies if they're a really good player, but it's it's nice not to lose somebody like that that's six miles away uh, from campus. So, uh, you know, nice get. Uh, anytime you get an offensive lineman, a big one like that, you know, your first commitment is a quarterback and your next commitment is an offensive tackle, most likely. Uh, that's the right way to build an offense is to get a, a really talented, skilled guy with the ball in his hands and then protect him uh, with an offensive lineman. So I, I would imagine the, the first of many offensive linemen in this class. Want to talk a little bit of Hokies hoops now. We flip the script to men's basketball. Coming off the heels of a tough one last night against the Duke Blue Devils. Big Monday inside Castle Coliseum. 77-67. to The final score. Hokies fall to number 7. Duke, that was after Virginia Tech had rattled off three consecutive wins on the road at NC State. Home against Boston College and Georgia Tech. Initial thoughts after the loss last night, guys. I thought Duke played a really good game. I uh, thought their defensive game plan seemed sound. They executed it pretty well. Um, I thought, still thought Virginia Tech missed some shots from the outside they normally make. And I thought Duke really shot well. I mean, they, they moved the ball well offensively, but then they really shot well on, on top of that. So uh, I just think you got to tip your cap to Duke. I thought that they, they played. It was probably one of the, considering the short turnaround and where they were playing. I thought that was maybe probably one of the best games they've played th- this year, all in all. Yeah. Um, Duke last season, I believe, was 0-4 off two-day turnarounds. One of them was in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech, mm. a game that the 1-7 Hokies won. <laughs> this I th- Virginia Tech team is in better shape right now and couldn't win, mostly because Duke played a really good basketball game. Uh, I said it last night. Virginia Tech played okay. But against a top 10 team, okay, is not going to cut it. I thought Duke was really, really good. I thought John Shire showed why he replaced Coach K. I mean, again, I don't cover Duke, so I don't – I follow the ACC, but don't, I don't follow Shire up close. But to, to just watch the game plan and how it evolved for Duke, you have to guard Hunter Couture and Sean Padula for any opponent. And they kind of let Padula – uh, get get some looks that you know he normally takes probably sometimes he makes them sometimes he misses if he makes them Virginia Tech's in a lot of games or winning a lot of games if he misses you got a chance to win if you're the opponent Hunter Couture is the key and I thought Tyrese Proctor he's 6'5 uh, Mike Young joked after the game kind of that he didn't realize how lengthy Proctor was but he did a really good job on Couture they switched Kyle Filipowski onto him some Duke's game plan was really sound offensively. I thought Duke used its screening action to kind of force Tech into tough defensive rotations instead of, you know, ball screen comes from one side and then it flips at the last second and then they don't even end up using the ball screen. Or they do, but they hesitate to where 
text big, whether it's Lynn Kidder, Melijah Potita is up there hedging and then has to roll with the big. Well, that leaves a wide open lane to the, to the hoop. And Chris, I showed you a play before we walked in here um, is of one of Duke's guards, literally just beelining right to the bucket after using that screening action. And Duke, Duke got a lot of stuff going with that. That tech played again. Okay. Only turned it over four times. That's a huge positive. Forced 14 turnovers. That's a season high uh, in the ACC play for Duke this year. But Tech, I mean, I think it really just came down to, to three-point shooting. And when Duke shoots 52, 53, 54% from three and you shoot 27%, uh, some some looks that you got were, I thought, pretty good looks. You know, yes, they weren't open looks, and it's hard to get open looks against a team of that caliber, but you have to make them. And Hunter Couture said it best after the game. Duke, the way they played us, we had split-second decisions to make. And if you don't make a split-second decision, you your opportunity is gone. And I think that kind of summarizes Tech's night. It, it had an opportunity and didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the most uh, telling stats from that game was the rebounding. Uh, you know, you're going to run into games where you don't shoot well or the other team shoots uh, very well or both of those. But you look at a 38 to 20 rebounding margin in this one. They didn't have an offensive rebound in the first half. The Hokies, that is, um, you know, that's that's desire and hustle sometimes with rebounding like that. And I don't think Duke was an especially great rebounding team. I think they had struggled in some of their previous games. So I think you look at it from that angle and you go not the Hokies best night. And this is a game where they needed to, to have their best. I and mean, this was an opportunity for them to get a marquee win on their schedule. I know Iowa state looks better and better by the week uh, rankings wise, but they re- really do not have the cachet of a Duke that you could put there at the top of your resume and go, that's one that you can look at come tournament time. If you're the selection committee and you're trying to differentiate from a bunch of resumes that all look the same, Duke is going to look different if you beat them, even if I don't think this Duke team is is quite, you know, all caps Duke of, of the past. So, uh, you know, really a missed opportunity, I think, for the Hokies because, you know, I think, like David said, you know, coming off two-day turnaround, they've got UNC coming up on Saturday. You wonder if maybe they're looking ahead a little bit. Uh, haven't exactly been the most competitive team this month. They probably should have lost that Clemson game. They did lose to Pitt at home and, uh, you know, come in here and play a very good game against the Hokies who I don't think had their best. So, uh, you know, a month, month and a half from now when they're you know, filling out the tournament field, I think Tech's going to look back at this one and go, that was a real missed opportunity to put a stamp on the season. want to take you back to the first half box score. You're sitting there, Jeremy Roach kind of hits that dagger of a three right to head into the locker room break after Virginia Tech went on a run, brought this thing back within three. All of a sudden, the halftime lead for the Blue Devils is moved to six. But if you sit there and look at the box score and say, Sean Padula is over from the floor. You have zero points by your big men, Melajal Poteet uh, or Lynn Kidd. And the leading scorer for Virginia Tech at that point is MJ Collins. And you're within six, really almost within three besides that one shot. I mean, you got to sit there and say how, but you got to be happy with that. Yeah. MJ Collins played fantastic. Yeah. He he gets a lot of shtick from the fans because he isn't. he has not necessarily been the most consistent scorer. He scored the ball great last night. He had team high 17 points. He scored the ball when needed for Virginia Tech. He kept Tech in that game. The problem is Virginia Tech endured a seven-and-a-half-minute scoring drought, field goal drought, I should say, because it it got to the free-throw line and hit a couple of those. You you can't do that 
against anybody, especially not a top 10 team. At halftime, and I was talking to Andy about this because we were both sitting next to, get, next to each other on press row, I went back and looked at the Florida Atlantic box score because that was a close game at halftime. And it ended, again, it ended up being a 10-point game last night. Tech had a nine-and-a-half-minute scoring drop from the end of the, sec- end of the first half to the beginning of the second half. When you play these teams, you have to find a way to get a basket, and that's between the way... Duke defended Hunter Couture last night. The way it kind of ran Sean Padula off the three-point line, ran the team off the three-point line as a whole. Tyler Nickel, when he got in the game, he only took one shot. He didn't hit it. Um, Again, like Lynn Kidd came up big, and he had a a pretty good second half. But when you're not really getting those contributions from Kidd and Poteet, like it just made it really, really tough. Virginia Tech didn't. You know, we're still shooting like 40-something percent even though it had that drought, which is impressive. But you can't go through something like that against a team like this. And I think that's a lot of credit to Duke and just how it played Virginia Tech. But also, like, you know, when you, like what like Andy said, when you look back on this game, you know, Virginia Tech's probably going to be kicking itself because it's like, I thought Tech played in, in some regards well enough to win. But it didn't defend Duke well enough for a large portion of the second half. And in the first half, you you have to be able to score the basketball to compete with a team like this. Tech was probably lucky to be able to only be down three and then six, of course. John Shire called that the most important play of the game, that three from Jeremy Roach, and I tend to agree. He hit that three. He hit another three when it was a three-point game with 14 minutes left. Um, In a game like this, you just have to make plays. Tech didn't really do that. I thought Tech played better last night than they did when they beat Louisville. I thought they played better than they did when they beat Boston College and maybe one or two other of, of their wins this year, maybe even two. I don't know. But uh, I just thought, you know, you just got to tip your cap. Duke played a really good basketball game. Duke hadn't played a good game, well, in Castle for quite a while. Uh, I think they beat Mike Young's first team, which finished 16-16. and 16. But other than that, Tech's beaten them in Castle pretty much every time they've played recently. Um, so I, I think they maybe part of them were a little bit tired of that, too. I know Duke turns over a lot of players, and some of those guys have never played in Castle in the past. But, but remember what happened last year. I mean, Filipowski getting punched in the throat by MJ Collins. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those weird teams that where Duke returned a lot of guys. Yeah, Filipowski, yes, it doesn't happen, yeah. Jeremy Roach is back. Mm-hmm. He, again, he was the player of the game, in my opinion. Tyrese Proctor's back. Like, this was a very— Ryan Young. Yeah, this yeah. was not a freshman Duke team. So no, Mark Mitchell Duke played team. last year. Actually, a lot of these guys. McCain was a basically a everybody except for and McCain Foster. and Foster. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. and that's because Shire's got a new approach. He said we're kind of trying to get away from the whole one they, and done. And they should. Yeah, they have, absolutely right decision because he's a good coach. Like I, I was, I thought they were so very well prepared last night, and they ex- executed pretty well on both sides of the ball. Um, if they can keep players as opposed to like teaching brand new players a new system every year, and I know. Well, those one-and-done guys are very talented, but how many one-and-done teams are winning national titles these days? Not not as many, right? So I think for Duke to get back to what Duke once was, they needed to change their model. And, you know, if he's doing that, you know, props to him. Well, the are crazy- you calling out Coach K and his <laughs> I model? I did not mention Coach Chris K. Chris Coleman, I think, is calling out Coach K no, I, I as have an outdated model of basketball he needed to go for a new, <laughs> fresh perspective at Duke. That, of- I, I, don't, not, I don't want to put words in your mouth here. Is that correct paraphrase? <laughs> That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Coach K, um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, this is 
kind of on topic, kind of off topic. But uh, I, I heard uh, I was out to dinner with somebody a few months ago who has some connections at, at Duke. And he said uh, they've had some issues down there with the whole transition. You know, even though uh, Shire's a Duke guy, it's like somebody says, well, Shire's the head coach, you know, his pitcher needs to be right here at the end of the hall or whatever. I'm just using this as an example. Old school Duke people are like, oh, but Coach K's pitcher has always been there, you know. So even though he's a Duke guy replacing Coach K, they're still getting pushback on certain things in there. I was just using that as one small example. But uh, it, it's it's interesting in those places where coaches stay entrenched for so long. Um I'll be interested to see what Syracuse – I brought up Syracuse this time, by the way, not Geo. Um, interested to see what they do with their scheduling model from here going forward because their scheduling model this year uh, – it might have been too late for their new coach to do anything about it, but it's very much slanted towards the RPI. Like if you look at their RPI ranking, which is like top 15 compared to their net, which is like 77. <laughs> maybe Jim Beheim doesn't have a Kempom subscription. Uh, maybe he doesn't. Uh, but but yeah, Syracuse has been doing things very much the old school RPI model of scheduling, even though the RPI isn't de- used to determine the NCAA tournament field anymore. So uh, you've seen some things change at Duke, which I think is better for Duke. And uh, that's something to look out for for Syracuse. Now back to Virginia Tech. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's, well, one thing, when you mention players staying, you look at the other the other best team in the ACC, ironically, Duke and North Carolina play this weekend. Top 10 game in Chapel Hill. College game day will be there. But North Carolina has a bunch of veterans, too. Veteran or uh, freshman point guard, Elliot Kiddo. But everybody else are veterans. Like, like, you have to have experience now, just in the portal era. Experience pays off. Them getting Harrison Ingram in from Stanford. Armando Baycott is surprisingly still there. Yeah, it feels there. like he's and been there. In my opinion, I'm not going to name any yeah. names here, but they don't have a ball hog on their team this year. So, yeah, I think RJ they're playing, da- RJ Davis think they're playing is better team basketball. RJ Davis is playing phenomenal, too. So, yeah, I think it, it, pays, off to, it pays off to have veterans. Freshmen... You know, Coach K did so well with, with freshmen for a long time, but you really have to go back to, I mean, I guess his 20, that 2015 team where they had, you know, Jaleel Okafor and, uh, and some of the Tyus Jones, maybe, um, you know, that Justice Winslow, like that Duke team was a bunch of freshmen, obviously the Kentucky team with Anthony Davis, but like it, it it's not a consistent thing. The, the it Duke, takes a lot to Duke, win with freshmen. The Duke team with Zion was the most talented basketball team I think I've ever seen in person outside of maybe one of those Carolina teams when like when Tech first got in the ACC that had like Ty Lawson and Hansborough and that group that, 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 that was really good but that team with Zion was insanely talented and like Tech easily could have knocked them out of the Sweet 16 in that game you know that, that game went down to the wire so it, just, it takes a lot more than just talent yeah. and uh I think it uh, takes experience. Yeah, like that's that's yeah. I think what you I, see. I think for Duke, you just go out there and you sign four McDonald's All Americans in the number one class in the country, and they're all going to be one and done. I think in the way that's almost a lazy style of recruiting. It's like we know we can get these guys, so that's what we're going to do. But are you really thinking about what's the best decision for your basketball program? Well, the crazy thing is, is they're still getting those guys, and now they're convincing them to stick around. I think NIL plays a big factor in that for sure. Um, but like Filipowski was one of the top guys coming up this next year. They have one of the top guys coming in uh, for next year's class, and then you know top ten um, for I want to say it was McCain was top ten. Yeah, and Foster had, think, was I think top four. They had, f- I think. 
they have four top 10 freshmen yeah. in this year's class. And like only two or three of them are playing. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're still sticking around. Um, we, can, we can talk about the approach and, oh, should they go after all these one and dones? Like Virginia Tech would kill for one player like that. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you could talk from afar about the approach, but for most schools, like even landing one of those guys would be a dream scenario and the fans I, would lose their minds. I, I think if Tech got a one and done player, I'm not sure we'd be able to afford the rest of the roster. That's, I mean, from an NIL standpoint. That's fair. That's fair. I think we'd take one in a heartbeat, though. I don't know. It might be five on one basketball if that was the case, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. We could get you out there, though. No. Lace them up. I don't think you want that. I <laughs> uh, wanted to talk about the free throws, guys, because it's worth noting, and it kind of almost flew under the radar a little bit. Tech went into last night number two in the country, number one in the ACC in free throw <clears throat> shooting percentage. They were above 80%. That is really, really <laughs> impressive. It's a big reason as to why they've been winning games, especially uh, nailing off those three consecutive <clears throat> Ws. Last night, that you don't want to say falls apart. I mean, they went 16-16 to against Boston College. Uh, they missed just two in their last outing against Georgia Tech. Last night, 9-12 from the stripe, so didn't get to the stripe as much. 75%. But it was when it was when the misses came, is my point here. You had three misses in a row, and that was when it was a single-digit ball game. Padula misses one. That's unlike him. And then Poteet misses two, which, believe it or not, is actually unlike him, too. He shoots yeah. the ball above 70%. So it wasn't necessarily that they missed him. They still didn't have a bad night. It was just the timeliness of it, David. I, you know, I wrote my... Sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, Whoever wants it. Okay. I wrote the article, so I'll talk about it. Yeah. 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 I wrote an inside the numbers article today on the free throw shooting. And I ran the numbers yesterday, and I'm sitting there like, should I write this today and run it today? If I do that, they'll probably go like (laughs) seven of 15 from the line tonight, and I'll totally jinx them. So I decided to wait and write it today. Um, But uh, I, I did post a couple of the numbers on Twitter. But other than that, you know, I waited until today. Did you have a cheeseburger? No. 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 I, mean, I tried to restart the cheeseburger streak for the Clemson game, and it worked, and then I did it the next game against Miami, and they lost. Oh. So it's over and done with now. Okay. Yeah. Um, I uh, paid $19 for a sandwich, a bag of chips, and a water. Would you go to Five Guys? No, I went to Heathwood Market in, in Castle. Oh. Yeah. yeah. $19. That's tough. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> free throws? <laughs> Free throws. Um, yeah, second in the country. So you've got to go all – I mean, you go back 10 years in the ACC and there's only been one ACC team to shoot a higher percentage in free throws than Virginia Tech is shooting this year. Um, Hunter Couture is 42nd nationally. Lynn Kidd is 50th nationally in free throw percentage. He's the only player in the top 50 in the country taller than 6'7". I think there's only two guys who rank 51st to 100th who are taller than 6'10". So, like, last year, I think there was only – last year and the year before, there was only one guy who was 6'10 or taller who finished in the top 100 in free throw shooting. So, Lynn Kidd is, like, one of the most unique players in college basketball or even in the history of Virginia Tech basketball when it comes to free throw shooting. That is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, what, is, what else does anybody have on this Duke game before we touch on the, the win over Georgia Tech because we have not talked to our uh, our squad here, our uh, listeners since then, and then we kind of move into our women's basketball conversation. I was I was surprised that Tech didn't uh, – Tech was in the bonus for like the final 12, 13 minutes of the second half yesterday and didn't really get to the line. Mm-hmm. Um I was a little I was a little surprised about that. But this is also a tech team that doesn't necessarily get to line a lot. Will and I were talking about this in the seats 
when we were watching the game. Actually, it was both halves. They got Duke up to six fouls with six or seven minutes in the first half. And I don't think they it went like – I think it went – They didn't, Duke didn't get called for another foul until like there was like about a minute left. So they couldn't take advantage of it. And that was also part of when uh, – also like in the second half when they got Duke – in the bonus, and they couldn't take advantage of it. Filipowski was also on the bench in foul trouble. He had four fouls. Yeah, and uh, I thought there were some times where, like, uh, Duke actually played better without him. I'd have to go back and watch I the agree. film. I agree. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, like, I'd, I'd tap Will and be like, all right, he's out of the game. We need to make a run. And then Duke would make a run instead. And then it happened again. It kept happening, and I'm like, well, I just hope he stays in the game at this point. Um, but uh, I, I think no matter how you slice it, though, I mean, Duke, Duke played a really good game. Yeah, Gio, I think th- this was a, like Andy said, this was a, an opportunity. Virginia Tech had a chance, and we already kind of outlined the situation Duke was in. This was, I mean, Virginia Tech had won five of the last six in Castle against Duke. Duke's coming off. Duke's, Duke and Tech both played on Saturday, but then Duke has to travel. Duke, you know, you have to prep on a dime. Duke also has Carolina on Saturday. Just seemed like the perfect conditions for a Virginia Tech kind of storm to to win this game. Um, I thought the fans were really good last night. I thought Castle Guard was was solid, um, very very loud. I thought the place was going to explode when Filipowski missed the first free throw for Bacon. <laughs> um, this this was a, a chance, and I think if you're Tech. You just needed a smidge bet more offensively, and I think defensively. Like there was a point in the second half where um, it's probably about the same time Andy finished his commitment article on Stallard and looked up Duke shooting like seventy five percent in the half. Like where they start nine of thirteen, something, something like, like that. that. Nine yeah. of I mean, just you you can't you can't let a team shoot like that. Mm-hmm. You you have to to lock down and play better defense, and it was across the board. And I thought Tech's defense was good at times, bad at times. Um, Tech didn't really get a chance to go run out and transition at all. I thought Duke's half, like Duke, was able to kind of slow down and, and make Tech play in the half court, which is fine. Tech's comfortable doing that, but that means you don't get as many easy opportunities. So, yeah, I, I think Mike Young said it best. He's like, sometimes you just get outplayed, and, and Duke Duke was better. And you know now Virginia Tech kind of turns its attention to Miami. That's a big win, almost a must win. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a sec. Yep. And, um, you know, Tech Tech does not have that necessarily marquee win. Iowa State's a good win. Clemson's a good win. For Depending now. on the day, NC State and Boise State are quadrant one wins. But, man, do, a, a, a win over Duke would have really injected, like, new life into this team. Well, they didn't get it, David, so stop making us sad. Um, Georgia Tech, you thought it was one of Tech's best performances, if not the best performance uh, of the year. 91-67 was the final. In that I one. think you have to say that. I mean, just a conference game, you win by 24. And you saw what I've been talking about in the net, about how it's not as much about who you play, but how you play, as opposed to the old RPI. It's like the exact opposite. So... Uh, like Tech won in a blowout style, so they moved up eight spots in the net because you get that extra little bonus for you know for margin of victory, and it really helps you in the uh, in your efficiency ratings. Obviously, we, we, when you win by twenty four, you're very efficient. Whereas if they'd gone out there and won that game by six points, they might have moved up just a couple of spots or something like that. Um, I also thought George Tech's really bad. Yeah, 
Um, but so that has something to do with it. Um, uh, I think Tech is playing. Tech's playing their best basketball of the season right now by far. They just ran into a team with several future NBA players on it who played one of their best games of the season. Unfortunately, it was a uh, bad timing for that from Virginia Tech's perspective. But overall, I think Tech's playing good basketball right now. I, oh, you got something, David? Yeah, I would agree. I think this is Virginia Tech's best basketball of the season. You ran into a buzzsaw. Duke is a buzzsaw. Duke is going to be a probably a top four seed come March. That's just the way things shape out. Um, like Andy said, this is not you know all caps Duke, but this is a this is a pretty good Duke team that I think is playing better basketball as well. And the, the trick now for Virginia Tech is to capitalize on the Georgia Tech game. You know, I asked some of the guys last night. Okay, well you're five and five in the ACC now. Like I know, it, I know it feels weird because it feels like a missed opportunity. But for Virginia Tech to, to start two and four and then be five and five, that's a pretty impressive turnaround. And we won't know if it's a missed opportunity until March. Yeah, and and again, this is this Virginia Tech team can still go accomplish something. It has to win some of the right games. Starts with Miami. I think Carolina is a long stretch, but. I think if you know there are ten games left in the ACC, Tech's halfway through. To be sitting at five and five is not a bad place to be. It gives you a chance. Now Tech's probably gonna have to win at least six, if not seven, games to really be in that conversation. It's gonna have to win the right ones. But I did like how Tech played against Georgia Tech. I liked how Tech played against Boston College. Um, Hunter Couture, I thought, put it well. I mean, he said, even though we lost this game, we made strides. And I, I think you are seeing it. Virginia Tech is playing really good defense right now. Uh, that didn't necessarily show up at times last night because I thought Duke was really good offensively. And Duke was 12th in adjusted offensive efficiency coming in. That's just how good it is. Yeah. Um, I think offensively, Tech's tr- starting to find something. If Tech can continue to get those contribu- kind of contributions, maybe not 17 a night, but from MJ Collins, I think Robbie Barron's playing better. Tech needs Tyler Nickel to be a little bit more consistent. Um, you have to remember, Makai Long didn't play. He, that was his third straight game he missed because of a pound for pound because of Tech's best rebounder. Yeah, and I think he probably would have helped on the huge. defensive end a little bit, maybe not offensively, but um, you know, I think Linkin and Elijah Poti combining for thirty six points, Robbie Barron chipping in fourteen. I mean, that front court trio had fifty and nineteen and shot seventeen to twenty five for Virginia Tech against Georgia Tech. That's that is really good. Georgia Tech, who beat Duke, by the way. Virginia Tech is showing. Virginia Tech showed over these last three games that it can win in different ways, which I'm, we'll talk about when you know, with the women. But like, you go on the road, you beat NC State, you turn the ball over twenty times, and you still find a way to win. You come back, you don't turn the ball over as much, still probably too much. Shampadul and Hunter Couture go off. Yep, you find a way to win. Then it's not Hunter Couture and Shampadul's night; it's the Bigs' night. They combine for 50 points, 36 between the two fives. You find a way to win that way. Tech only turned the ball over four times. You remember we were having this conversation last week? We were like, Tech is never going to win a game again if it turns the ball over 20 times. (laughs) Tech turned it over four times. Like, Tech is making strides. You probably just can't really see it because of last night's game. Oddly enough, Tech's two best turnover games this year have come in two losses. South Carolina and Duke. They turned it over six times against South Carolina, four times against Duke, and lost both games. Six of 22 from three last night, seven of 22 against South Carolina. It's it's putting the whole thing together, Gio. It's, It's 
playing good defense. It's not turning the ball over. It's hitting your threes when they come. And I, Virginia Tech will get there. The question is if Virginia Tech can get there in time. Because if it doesn't get there for another couple weeks, it's going to miss out on an opportunity like Miami on Saturday. It's going to miss out on, on opportunities to pick up what might be Q1 wins against Pitt and Syracuse. Again, Carolina is a long shot, but but Tech has to win now. The margin for error is is so so thin now. Duke would have made it a little bit wider, but again, this team this team is I think starting to find a little bit more of a groove. So, Andy, I've got a question for you. It's been a while since you covered basketball. I know what's the best basketball team you've seen play in person? College basketball team. Bas- you have an basketball team. Yeah. Can it be an opposing team? Sure. As yeah, I play. Yeah. Uh, I saw them play probably six or seven times in the 2000 season. The Michigan State team, Mateen Cleaves, yeah. Mo Peterson, uh, Jason Richardson, Zach Randolph on that team. Uh, it was a good team. You know, Roanoke, <laughs> They beat the Badgers in the Final Four as I, well. Roanoke briefly had a uh, minor league basketball team, and I think Mateen Cleaves played for them. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. I'll have to look that up on his Wikipedia. I remember it being at the Final Four. I was a student reporter mm-hmm. in my senior year of college, <laughs> and it's in the RCA Dome in Indianapolis, and we're in like the auxiliary media seating. So we're like in the front row of the actual stands, and behind us was like Mateen Cleese's family, like shouting like Flintstones because they were from Flint, Michigan. So that was like the team <laughs> nickname and stuff. They would not stop. The entire game. <laughs> it was pretty obnoxious, but it was uh, kind of cool to cover at the time. And then, yeah, I'm sure I've seen other really talented teams over. You know, I did used to cover quite a bit of basketball back in the day uh, before I, I veered towards football. But that that's one that sticks out in my mind that uh, pretty good team there. Yeah. I, I mean, I tell you what, those that 2018-19 season. There were a lot of good basketball there teams in the lot. ACC. Uh, I mean, yeah. that Virginia team that went and won the national game. championship. Hate to say it, sorry. Uh, Louisville was really good. That Louisville's year. good. Duke. I mean, that team with Duke and with Zion, Zion. Williamson. Um, that that was a really good team. Uh, I I got to I got to watch uh, some really good basketball on the women's side last year too. Uh, um, anytime you get to see South Carolina play, South Carolina is a a beast getting to see Caitlin Clark play. Um, you know, those, those teams were, were really, really good. And honestly, you know, it's crazy is some of those, maybe not the best, but some of the most consistent teams I've seen, some of those NC state women's basketball teams over the last handful of years. I mean, they ripped off three straight HCC championships. Like it was HCC tournament championships. Like it was nothing. Kunane. Yeah, yeah, she was pretty good. She was pretty good. There was a lot of talent there. So you got Miami coming up on Saturday. Then you're at Notre Dame. Kind of a must win, and, uh, I think we can say. Uh, that's a week off, too. Right, you have a whole week stretch. That's Saturday to Saturday. Florida State after that, Carolina. We don't really have to get into the meat and potatoes here because David, I think, nailed it. Uh, the The margin for error is slim, uh, and there's some games that you simply cannot lose here. You're talking at Pitt, at Notre Dame. You got to beat Florida State when they come here this time around, things like that. The, the uh, three, I think, are, that you have no business losing are Louisville and the two Notre Dame games. Yeah. Like, those are quad four games. Absolutely have to go 3-0 and in those games. Uh, and that gets you to 16 wins. 
And you know, we, we don't know what the magic number is because it depends on what everybody else does and, and your number of quad one wins and things like that. So other than that, we don't know what's going to end up being a must win. Like we won't know what was a must win until the season ends and we look back on it. But I can tell you what, we can't lose those any of those three that I just mentioned. But Virginia Tech, I think, probably has to play like every game is a must win. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's kind of, I mean, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so say Virginia Tech goes unscathed in those three games and is sitting at 16 and 8 um, and 8 and 5. Uh, that leaves you with seven other games. Mm. You probably need four of those. and <laughs> Five to be safe. Yeah. yeah, and and so that you well that so that's saying you got to beat Virginia at home, you got to beat Florida State at home, you probably have to go to Pittsburgh or go to Syracuse and take one Miami or two. Yeah, I think the most important game for Virginia Tech is the Miami game. That's a team you should have beaten in Castle, probably would have beaten in Castle if you had Hunter Couture. This is a Miami team that as Gio mentioned to us when we were prepping for the show, that, that's been banged up lately. That team was banged up when it came to Castle the first time. That's a Q1 game on the road. Miami's good enough that it will stay a Q1 because it's on the road. If you can go in there, this Miami and Tech are always close. Go in there and, and get a win. You're above 500 still. Or you're, you're back above 500. You're 6-5 and five in the ACC, but you have a Q1 win on the road. And... I was running numbers on uh, on Bartovic, Bartorvik uh, this morning, and you know if Tech gets about seven wins and gets the right combination of wins, like that Miami game is crucial. But Tech could very well be in the tournament field come the end of regular of the regular season by just like winning the right games. You win at Miami, you win at Pitt. Those are both Q ones. Right. Syracuse could be if Syracuse continues to play well. So it's like the season is not nowhere close to being over but if if you go to louisville and you for some reason slip up you, you don't deserve it. to be in the ncaa tournament right as clemson found out last year yeah or, no, or notre dame true. and guess yeah. what like virginia virginia might start to play better but what does virginia have on its resume a, a big fat l against notre dame on the road yeah like you can't lose to the teams that are in the very, very, very bottom tier in the ACC if you want to get into the tournament. It, it just crosses out one of your Q1 wins if you do that. Essentially. Basically. Yeah. All right, let's flip the script here, talk women's basketball. You're talking about a team that is finding their groove once again. Things are going very, very well for Kenny Brooks and company coming off the heels of a win on the road inside the Dome. Took down number 22, Syracuse. Here we go, Syracuse again. Every episode, it's Syracuse. My goodness. I know. I cannot wait to read the comments uh, once again. Beat Georgia Tech as well. Before that, we already talked about it. They beat Clemson inside Castle Coliseum. Some trends here uh, with this team. You're seeing more lineups with uh, both Elizabeth Kitley and Clara Strack. You're seeing Olivia Sumiel being inserted back into the starting lineup. She's been fantastic. And then Georgia Amor returning from injury has been lights out for the Hokies. David, you talked about, and, and Kenny talked about, and kudos to you for bringing it up to Kenny during the press conferences, her pace has been exceptional the last couple of games. You you hate to say it, um, uh, you remember the last the last podcast we did where it was kind of like not that it's a good thing but like maybe it helps everybody figure out some stuff. George Amor sitting out sitting out a game, 
I think that helped her reset a little bit. And and she seems to be fine. She's playing good basketball. She was the AC Player of the Week. She had 24, I believe, against Georgia Tech, and then went and had a casual 29 in, in the uh, JMA Wireless Dome. She's playing fantastic basketball. She's limiting turnovers, and she's running the offense so well right now. Elizabeth Kitley did not have a good game up in Syracuse, but Georgia Amor... I don't think if you're Virginia Tech, you never really felt like you didn't have control of the game because Amor kind of just maintained it. There was the one second quarter where George Amor, with about a minute and a half to go in the first quarter, she picked up two fouls. Carly Wenzel has to come in and, and kind of slow things down and run it. Virginia Tech essentially played that entire second quarter without Georgia Amor. Was up about 11. The lead was cut to four, I believe, or six at halftime. To be like that is a luxury to have to be able to go into halftime without your starting point guard when you're all like essentially one all American spent an entire quarter on a bench and the other all American's not playing well and you're beating a top twenty five team on the road by four and a half. So she missed a whole quarter basically and still had how many points? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. She had thirteen in the first Decent quarter and game. then yeah. Um, so that, I mean that's a credit to Carly Wenzel and Matilda Eck and and. and uh, Kayla King, I thought they were exceptional. But, yeah, Gio, you mentioned her pace. She's kind of, she's speeding it up but slowing it down, but she's not, like, playing out of sorts. Like, she's kind of just letting the game come to her, and she's taking um, what the defense is giving her. And, and I know sometimes it's like, what in the world is she doing? She's dribbling around in a circle. Um, she had that one play, Gio, where she got, like, she was defended kind of like with seven seconds on the shot clock, I think, and she got down really, really, really low. And she, like, basically dribbled really quickly, looked like she was on the Harlem Globetrotters, and, and got fouled. And, like, you know, shot clock, reset, or shot clock resets to 20, and Tech essentially has a whole new possession. Like she's playing smart basketball. She's not really trying to force it, and I think that's good. And I think, as a result, everybody else is, is feeding off of it. She draws so much attention. And when you can get 14 from Matilda Eck, 13 from Kayla King, Carly Wenzel can chip in seven. Olivia Sumiel hits a huge corner three. That's like back-to-back games where she's hit a huge corner three. She had 12 rebounds. Everything's coming together. That's without mentioning, you know, the the All-American, the other All-American, I should say, that, you know, didn't have a good night, her first off night, really, of the year. And Virginia Tech was still able to come away with the win. That's... That is like the recipe for success, being able to overcome quote-unquote adversity and when stuff doesn't go your way and players are having an off night, other people finding a way to step up. Well, how much, can you speak more about how? Uh, what does that say? When Because up to that point, Tech had not shown that without a superstar, whether it's Georgia or Liz, playing at their best, that they can win ball games, right? And then this was the first time. I mean, you can make the argument Georgia didn't play against Clemson and then Tech looked really good, but there, there were some hiccups and that was learning opportunities across the board. Obviously, they struggled in the second half without Georgia against Duke. This was the first time your superstar, I mean, she is on the floor. She is drawing attention, doesn't have her best, and they're able to contribute in other ways. Yeah, I think it goes back to the role players and how well they're playing. And when I say role players, I don't mean that in the demeaning way. They're just not the two All-Americans. The the other players on the team, for you to be successful, like I look at, I compare it to that Duke team we saw last night. Kyle Filipowski is an All-American. He's one of the best players in the country. He's going to get 
all of the focus. But you have to have guys that are going to step up when needed. Jeremy Roach stepped up and hit four threes last night. Maybe the play of the game in that Syracuse game, I would say two plays, Carly Wenzel basically at the end of the first half driving to the rim, getting a layup to go. And Matilda Eck had one where she got the rebound, and instead of outletting, you know, throwing an outlet pass, she dribbled it up the floor, walked up to the top of the key, and hit a three. Like, it's that confidence. You need those players to feel confident and to step up and contribute. And it says a lot. Um, I think it was a little bit worrying when Elizabeth Kitley just weirdly has an off night. She's been fantastic all year. Um, And for whatever reason, she's getting good looks, her normal shots not falling. And then Georgia Hamer's not on the floor. But Carly Wenzel, I thought I thought that was a big moment for her and her development. Like she, Kenny Brooks was able to keep her on the floor for essentially the entire second quarter. She barely turns the ball over, maybe like once. Um, she had a pass at like half court that got picked off, and then she came down and, and helped Tech set back up and run the offense, and Tech, I believe, scored off of it. You're seeing her maturity. That's big because when George Amor's not on the floor, Tech needs somebody like that. Kayla King, we know what she brings. Matilda Eck, right? And then getting, like, Syracuse coming in was one of the best rebounding teams in the conference. Olivia Samuel has 12. Matt essentially matches uh, the name slipping my mind, but you're one of Syracuse's best rebounders. Like, you have to have those efforts from everybody else. And the, the way, you know, that's what makes a good team. And then... It helps when you have two All-Americans, and when they're on, they're on. And, you know, George Amor, again, like, casually had 29 after missing an entire quarter of basketball. Like, those things don't just happen to anybody from anybody. That just kind of tells you how well she's playing right now. So I think it's, again, the perfect storm right now. We talked about how well the men are playing. I think the women are, like, full foot on the gas right now. But obviously, uh, it's only going to get more difficult from here. Well, Virginia Tech, and, and by the way, you were right. Um, Kira Wood uh, yes. had 12 rebounds. So did Olivia Sumio. That was the leader uh, for each team. Virginia Tech did win. Uh, the rebound totals, though, in this ball game, 47 to 39 against the Orange. Want to talk, David, about the fact that Tech defensively, DeAsia Fair averaging over 21 points per game coming into this game for Syracuse. She's kind of the heart and soul of that team. Tech held her to just 16, and it wasn't just the fact that what she was able to do in points. It just felt like Tech was kind of able to neutralize her, more of an eye test type of thing. Yeah, I think offensive defense, not letting Syracuse get offensive rebounds was huge because I, I believe Kenny Brooks said on the on the pregame and postgame show uh, when talking to Evan Hughes on the Virginia Tech Sports Network, just that Syracuse is the best offensive rebounding team, but one of the best rebounding teams, but best offensive rebounding team in the conference. And Tech really neutralized that, didn't really let Hughes do anything there. Again, credit to some of y'all. But to limit DeAsia Fair up there, I think, in all ACC, easy uh, player of the year consideration um, with you know, like Elizabeth Kelly, Georgia Amor, Hannah Hildago from Notre Dame. Tech, Tech held the orange to 33% from the floor. That's impressive. And I think that probably flies under the radar because of, of Tech playing well offensively. But that's the big reason why Virginia Tech won 75 to 62, I believe it was. Um, that is correct. To be able to hold the team and to play defense like that, I think a lot of it was because of the 2-3 zone. Funny how you go up to Syracuse and you play a 2-3 zone and it works for you. Um, 
but well, tasted your own medicine. Nah, well, yeah, <laughs> except it wasn't a game, it, you know, it wasn't a men's game. But yeah, I, I thought I think Tech's finding something with that two three zone. I think Tech's playing more disciplined. I think if Tech can continue to rebound the ball out of the zone, it'll be really effective. <clears throat> the, the 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 tough part with Tech is it's gotten beat in a handful of games this year by just players slashing to the rim. And I think the zone in a lot of cases eliminates that, forces people to shoot from the outside. We saw Florida State earlier this year, you know, Sarah Bajetti had like 31 points and couldn't miss from three. Sometimes people are going to have a good night and, and beat you from there, but a lot of times it's going to work. And, and that's one of the reasons I think why Tech was able to slow down Fair and Syracuse. David, want to bring up the point and – you know, probably going to get crucified in the comments. It's okay. We're starting to build this whole anti-hero mantra anyway uh, okay, with, with all this. But uh, <laughs> but Syracuse is good. I mean, 22 in the country to go on the road. Tough environment. This is a very big win for Tech, uh, especially because, you know, you lost on the road at Florida State. You lost on the road at Duke. To go beat a top 25 team, Syracuse or not, at their house, that's a big staple for Tech. That was a hump that they hadn't necessarily gotten over yet this season. Let me say this so people don't just get mad at you. Syracuse is very, very good. Like, this was a team that had only had one loss in the ACC, was tied with Louisville for the, the conference lead. Tech, Syracuse, and Carolina are now tied for second behind Louisville. Syracuse swept Notre Dame this season. Notre Dame went and beat UConn on Sunday. And, and Syracuse went and beat Notre Dame by 10-plus in South Bend on Thursday. Like, to go up there and to essentially nullify a little bit DeAsia Fair, that was a pretty impressive Syracuse crowd in terms of a women's game from what I've seen recently. That is a, that is a like, that is, I think, Virginia Tech's first big win this year outside of NC State. Because NC State, of course, is big. Right. Number three team in the country at that time. NC State's 18-2. Tech's going to have another shot at the Wolfpack next week. But to beat Syracuse, to beat a, to beat a ranked ACC team on the road, a team that's playing really good basketball, that's going to be in the NCAA tournament hunt, and, and is going to be uh, probably a top four, five, six seed at the way Syracuse is playing right now. Um, this and, and I also think like, this is one meeting of the year. You don't get Syracuse again. You lose that, and who knows what happens at the end of the season when you need it for tiebreaker purposes. So it, it's a big win for a lot of reasons. It's a confidence booster. You show you, you can go win on the road against a top 25 team. I believe it was Tech's third game on the road against a top 25 team this year. Lost at LSU. Lost at Florida State. I was I was a little not maybe I don't know if skeptical is the right word but you know we saw Tech go on the road twice a week or two ago to Florida State and Duke and and play well for stretches of those games and then not be able to hold on and to do so when Elizabeth Kitley's not playing well when you're dealing with George Amor's foul trouble I think it says a lot this team is maturing and is really finding itself did you see what duke did to florida state 42 point yeah yeah exactly this, this so, league is so, insane so like that, and then duke, that duke lost, lost the next game oh, yeah, that's crazy but like the duke loss on the road is like when they play like that i mean florida state's obviously good they beat tech right yeah. but but they lost by 42 to duke it's a tough league, man. It's like you don't play your best on any given night. You're going to get beat. Yeah. I think that's what's impressive about Tech. It's like Tech's two losses are to Florida State and Duke, both on the road. But Tech doesn't really have that loss that's tripped them up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Carolina, who Virginia Tech has on Sunday after UVA, 
Well, Carolina went to Charlottesville and got waxed by 15. This is a UVA team that lost to Pitt, the worst team in the league mm-hmm. last week. Like, again, it's everybody has there's, everybody can beat everybody. There's more parity this year, though, I think, than there normally. You know, is. it's feeling slightly eerily similar to last year, right? Where even though it wasn't back to back losses, these Florida State Duke loss kind of feels like when Tech early on in conference play lost to Clemson and lost to Miami. And then remember, they didn't lose again, right? Uh, until they lost to Duke. If they manage to not lose right, again right, with yes. the schedule After they've that. got coming up, then <laughs> like whatever job Kenny Brooks did last year is an even better job this year. So yeah. so let's talk about that gauntlet yeah. coming up. This is actually unbelievable. You have nine games left. Five of those nine games are against top 25 teams. Coming up, you got UVA inside the castle. No slouch in the Cavaliers, not this year. Uh, At number 24, UNC. And then on Thursday after the Sunday, you're going on the road to play a top five NC State team down in Raleigh at Reynolds Coliseum. You know that Tech's only won there once in program history. And it was last year. Uh, Boston College, that's a game you should win inside castle. Then you got Duke at home. You're at Louisville. You play UNC again this time at home. You're at number 14, Notre Notre Dame and you end the year on the road at you like if that's not a gauntlet I don't know what is yeah and it'd be one thing if one of the other teams tech played twice was not UVA but UVA is a rivalry game it's one of those things where you know everybody everybody always you know use the joke oh throw the records out when the when those teams play but it's like you know I've seen really really good Virginia Tech teams lose to not very good UVA teams in the past and vice versa like it just happens and you know, Tech's gonna have to show up on Thursday night. Tech can't be looking to Carolina. Tech can't be looking to NC State. And um, yeah, this is uh, this is where Kenny Brooks is gonna make his money. I mean, this is like <laughs> this, I, like this is this is where the team is really going. To, you're really gonna learn how good Virginia Tech is. Is Tech going to be able to go on the road back to back games and win at Carolina and at NC State? Those are gonna be two tough environments. Tech did it last year. Took a buzzer beater from Elizabeth Kitley and a terrific performance in Reynolds. Uh, but, like, this this league is really, really good, and, and it's only going to get more difficult. But, um, you know, I, I looked at the latest bracketology this morning, and Virginia Tech's projected as a number four seed. To, to, be, to be a number four seed halfway through, that's a good spot. Uh, if, if you remember, Tech was not... Tech was not number one seed until it won the ACC championship exactly. last year. Yeah. So there's still a long way to go. Lots of basketball to be played. Tech can really boost its resume by winning some of these games. Not going to be easy at all. You're about to find out whether Tech's going to be a three seed or a six seed. Yeah. Basically. And regardless, they or can make some noise. Right. Yeah. Really. Uh, I mean, this is a team that I think at this point, matched up one-on-one, can contend with anybody in the country, um, no doubt, especially the way they're playing as of late. Anything else, guys, on women's hoops before uh, we let everyone go? I think, we're, I think we covered it. I think we nailed it. I think we covered it. Yeah. you got it. Sweet. What's coming up on Tech Sideline this week? Uh, you know, it was a big recruiting weekend this past week, so... I'll spend some time compiling a list of some of the names who visited and run that article either probably either tomorrow or Thursday. Sweet. And a normal Q&A. I think, Andy, you've got some depth chart stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to project some depth charts, what it might look like uh, next year. I'm going to do the thing where I go back five years, look at the signing class from five years ago. I always enjoy uh, look back some of the, the names we forgot over the years that have uh, – didn't pan out or went to other places or some, I mean, some of them are just like crazy to look back. Like I remember 
uh, one of the first ones we were doing was like a James Farrow, that cornerback who yeah. like was a rapper yeah. all of a sudden or something like that. He it's transferred like, to the hip hop Di- portal. Well, he was San Diego. <laughs> he went to San Diego first and then like dropped that and became a, a rapper. I think it just, he goes by Farrow or something like that. But, uh, Oh, he's still a rapper. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I don't know. I, I'm, I haven't kept up with his. Uh, you haven't? You don't no, celebrate his, his collection? Career. Uh, but no, it's just it's interesting to look back and see where some of these guys ended up. And, and then you try to think back of how hyped they were and how excited the message boards were when these guys signed. And of course, they're excited about everybody, but not everybody's going to pan out. So I like looking back at that stuff. Now I know what I'm going to do this afternoon. I'm going to try to find some James Farrow rap songs. <laughs> Jesus. Nice. He's uh, from Minnesota, so we, we have a common bond there. Same type of music. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of I'll have more basketball stuff this week. Again, Tech has UVA in Castle on Thursday. I'll be at in Chapel Hill on Sunday, and at NC State next week. The men are off next week. Yep. Um, after Miami again, that's a big one. You I'll, get a little bit of a break. Honestly, a must win. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you'll be right in, um, but you know, ba- baseball, softball stuff. Uh, we'll announce some some of that stuff soon. Media uh, day tomorrow. Yeah, baseball, yeah. softball, media day. Um, so we'll have some baseball softball content coming soon. Very excited for that. Uh, I'll talk about more more of that soon. Do, let let do, me throw in that wrestling beat UNC 33-3. to yes. yes. Wrestling crushed. Uh, and that, that's, Jack, as, that's as big of a blowout as you get in wrestling. Yeah, right there. they won 9 of 10 bouts. That's like winning a football game 62-7. to Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, wrestling, Jack Brizanine, uh and, and Ivan, Russian Hokey, they'll be in Charlottesville on Friday for, uh, for wrestling. Okay. Do we want to announce uh, our, our ba- baseball softball writers? Are we holding on to that secret information? Yeah, I, well, I was I was going to wait until they write some stuff first. All right, we'll, and, we'll and, hang on to and, that. And, and, oh. then, uh, and then I'll, we, we can talk about it and maybe have them on. And, and the only reason I say that is because the legend of Chris Hirons has moved on away from Blacksburg. Uh, a bigger and better opportunity. Let me add, while we're on here, that we have a demographic survey on the mm. site that we really like everybody to fill out. Uh, those of you who uh, visit the site regularly have probably already seen a link to it or, or or are on our email list have seen a link to it. But those of you who just watch the podcast, which is particularly students, mm-hmm. um, I know more students watch the podcast that is indicated in our survey that I've seen so far. So for advertising purposes and future content purposes, we, we'd really appreciate it if everybody gets on the site and fills out our demographic survey. It's a... Uh, it's on the homepage of the site right now. Probably. It's like 15 minutes or 15 questions. 15 It'll take questions. you like take two you, minutes. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Small part of your day. So please fill that out for us. Awesome. Fun week coming up for Virginia Tech. We'll see you next week, though. That does it for episode 344 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. One more time, today's show was brought to you, as always, by First Bank and Trust Company, our presenting sponsor. First Bank and Trump Trust Company's support has been invaluable to Tech Sideline, helping us to bring you all the great content across all of our platforms. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. Today's show also brought to you by uh, Triumph. NIL as well. For Robert Bateman, for Andy Bitter, for David Cunningham, for Chris Coleman, I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long from Blacksburg, and we'll see you next week.